Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, you do better than that. Look at them and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, I'm so glad that you're here at Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is the story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help, all right? So what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along in this story. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and borrow one of ours. And uh, one of our ushers will get one to you. But if you don't have a Bible, I can't say this enough, take that one, take it home, and read it every single day. Because every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. We can do a little better than that. Every time you meet with Jesus, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, so, hey, we're, uh, we're going to continue our series that we started uh, last week, and we're going to dive right in. I want you to turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. And you do two-thirds of the way through the book, and you'll kind of find the guy's names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you'll find John. I want you to start at the, uh, the beginning of John, chapter 1, verse 1. Last week we started at, towards the end of the book, John chapter 20, verse 30, which you heard in the, the sermon bumper uh, just before that. The purpose of this book, John writes that these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He gives us the purpose at the end of the book, and that's why we started there last week. I would encourage you to go back and watch that sermon Easter Sunday morning as we talk about the burden of proof around the resurrection and then ultimately what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Every single week we talk about Jesus. Every single week we proclaim the gospel, which is the belief that our God has become king by way of the cross, and we all must follow suit. And so every single message is centered around that idea, and we allow ourselves to be driven or pushed by books of the Bible as we preach through them. So uh, we're going to be in this book for the next 27 years. Uh, so get, get ready. I'll just tell you, uh, Mark was 16 chapters. It took us two years, and there's a few more in this one, and we're only going to get through two verses today. Uh, so I want you to look at John chapter 1, starting in verse 1 says this, a very famous passage, one of the most famous scriptures ever written. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. What an assertion. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace as this famous book, the Gospel of John, that you would help us and encourage us. Let every time we read the scriptures, let the preacher's words fall to the wayside and let the words of God live in the hearts of those you've called to be children. I ask you that you would illuminate your word for us and that it would shape us, challenge us, and mold us, even offend us towards the person of Jesus. And that all this would be for your glory and our good. And everyone said... Amen. We, we start this book, and, and I'm very excited about this book, and, and uh, you know, how we started this book is, is I said, what book should we do next? And, and Joe said, how about John? And I said, okay, let's do John. And there was nothing more than that. Uh, and I told you that. <laughs> To tell you, when people say I don't listen to anybody, I listen to Joe, okay? And uh, so we're in the Gospel of John. And this is a fascinating book. This is actually the book that most people tell a new Christian to read. How many of you, when you got saved, someone told you, hey, if you want to start in a book, start in the Gospel of John? How many of you are there? 
through and if you're new to this whole thing we're going through the gospel of John so that's good news but people often call this the big John and then there's the little Johns uh, first John second John third John and then John actually wrote the book of Revelation and and John was a disciple of Jesus he was a young disciple of Jesus and so many believe that he started following Jesus around at the age of about 17 and by the time Jesus was crucified he would have been uh, 20 years Years old, maybe around those, give or take a few years. He was a young man, and in the formative years of his life, many of you believe like your junior year of high school, that's a big year. So if you're junior, you're coming up on that. Like life looks very similar. Personality, you learn a lot at those stages of your life. The way we do youth ministry around here is intended to help people become mature believers in Christ, strong men and women, and oftentimes we prolong uh, adolescence. Somebody say, oh, no, right? And we, we want to help them uh, to uh, maturation. Think about this 17-year-old. He was following around Jesus, and some of the most uh, poignant memories and, and potent memories for him, this, the vivid uh, nature of what Jesus would actually do would stick with him so much so that he would write this book when he's a, almost 100 years old, and he would know details about hours and names, and he would be very specific. It was imprinted on him the events that would happen at a very young age. Don't despise your youth. Know that God uses you at any age. Young hairs are, you know, and full of life and the no hairs and the gray hairs, right? It doesn't matter what stage of life that you are at. God can use you for the glory of God. Amen? Three of you believe that? That's awesome. Uh, God can use you at any stage of life. Amen? And so John writes this book in, con in not really contrast, but in, in supplement to the other Gospels, uh, but also complementary uh, to the other Gospels. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what we call the synoptic Gospels. They tell many of the same stories. Matthew, uh, Matt was a CPA. How many CPAs you know, and how nerdy are they, right? You know what I'm, uh, uh, sorry, it's just a joke. Right, like, like, like they're the accountants of the world. He he's very uh, uh, specific about the spreadsheet, if you will, giving you the facts. That's why he starts off. Many of you, he doesn't tell you to start with Matt's gospel because you wouldn't read the rest of it. Because he says, and this one begat this one, and this one came from this one, and this number equals this number equals this number, and the spreadsheet goes down, and that's how Matt writes his book. But it helps some of the type A's and 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 the the. the Nerdy among us, check us all the all the boxes off of it. And he was someone who was around the person of Jesus, and he gives specific details. But he was not always in the inner circle. Could you imagine being Matt or Bart? I mean, you couldn't be, you know, you couldn't imagine having a name like that. But anyways, uh, so you got Matt and Bart, and and they're all jealous because all the time uh, Jesus takes three of them away, the twelve, and then the three because life's not fair. Get over it. And and so he would take the three, uh, Pete, Jim, and John, and he would take them up on the mountain and tell stories that the rest of them did not get to hear. And then it would get uh, kind of told to them later and added. So Matt writes his book this way. Mark is written, he's actually a scribe to Peter. And Peter tells these stories. But what Mark observes from the oratory stories of Peter is all the action. To keep Mark going, he writes, and suddenly, and then, and then they went here, and then this happened. And, and just like a chowra, and then, and then, and then, and then, next, just keeping you moving along. Luke was a physician and a doctor, and he actually wrote to a friend. How many of you have some good friends around you, right? Yeah. How many of you need a good friend? Find one this morning, right? You should have greeted somebody, right? Right? Like, uh, man, I'm thankful for my friends. I love you as a friend. I probably won't write you a birthday card. <laughs> Anyways, right? Some of you, like, maybe a met, you know, maybe a met, maybe a text, maybe a call. Maybe I'm like, hey, I heard it's your birthday, three, you know, three months ago. Happy birthday, 
right? Like, so we have friends, but how many of you have friends enough that you would set out to write an entire book in order to persuade them that they can be confident in their beliefs? That's what Luke actually does. He has a friend, Theophilus. He calls him beloved of God, my dear friend, Theophilus. And he, he says, I set out to write an accurate account so that you can be confident in what we've told you is true. And he writes the gospel of Luke. He actually writes the book of Acts as well. And he says, I've set out, dear Theophilus, to write another to continue the story of the church. And I write in such a way with details that you can be confident in what we're saying. And, and all of these books are written similarly from different perspectives. And then when John is a hundred years old, knowing that some of these gospels are being propagated among the other churches, he goes, I want to tell the inside scoop. He says, I want to write in a different way. And a young fisherman, who, who his brother James and him, actually are the ones who follow Jesus, leave their fishing business, get nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, two boneheaded brothers. How many got some boneheaded? How many of you are? I got three of them, okay? It's just true. And, uh, and, and so one of them eats rocks. And, and anyways, uh, so, so James and John, they get the, the nickname that comes with it. And now as John is removed from his experience and he looks out what he thinks the church needs, he sets out to write this particular book. And he doesn't start with a spreadsheet. He doesn't start with a genealogy. He doesn't start out to write in a way uh, that, that is, is chronological. He starts with a poem and mirroring a poem that he learned as a child. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he writes in the first verse of John, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him and without him, he asserts, was not, not anything that was made, made. He mirrors. There's some similarities, but there's some differences. When you read Genesis 1, and he says, in the beginning, God created. That's the start of the timeline. That's the start of what we know as life itself. But John actually starts in a way that he predates creation. He steps out of time and into eternity, and he says, before there was anything, there was God. And then what he's trying to show us is the eternal nature of God, but also the triune nature of God. See, if you were to study Hebrew in, in the opening parts of the Torah, we would see uh, the, the idea of God creating, and it was the, the barah of God. He would breathe and, and give life. He would speak. He barred nature into existence. Then it says the spirit hovered over the face of the deep and in the beginning God. All of a sudden from a perspective that is open, not closed because of my preconceived notions, I can read the opening parts of scripture and see a plurality in the Godhead. I can see that there is God, but God is somehow one, but yet Three, And then it, it, it also solidifies when God says, let us make man in our image. Now, why is this important? Because if I say God is love and there is not a plurality in the Godhead, he can only be loving to the extent we perceive Love, But God being triune means he's relational in and of himself. And so when we say God is love, not God is loving or the most loving, that the very definition of love is inside of his very essence, then he has to be triune. He has to have a relationship in and of himself. And John echoes that poetry. He echoes it, but he does it quite different. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He gives you this picture of the plurality. He is God, but he's separate from the father. He's separate from, from, from Yahweh God, but he is Yahweh God. Are you confused yet? Absolutely. Right? Here's what, here's what one theologian would say about the gospel of John. Like, can you imagine telling someone to read this particular verse when they first get saved? He actually starts with this 
poem. And, and I said, man, people should start here. And in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And all of a sudden he's showing you the scope of who God is, but he says it in a simplistic way. And yet such a complex way. Leon Morris says this about the gospel of John. He says, I like to compare the comparison of the gospel of John to a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant can swim. It is both simple and profound. John Calvin goes on to say this about the gospel of John. He says, since they all had the same subject, referring to the other gospels and how he writes, because here's the reality. If John is going to write in such a way that is in contrast to the other gospels, rather than just fall in line and do what everyone else does, when you see the outlier, when you see the individual, and yet they have the same subject, you have to begin to ask the question, if he did something different, then why did he do do that and oftentimes we lump scripture together and then what we do is we can see that God has inspired human beings and we can see the fingerprints of man on the scriptures and can I tell you as we go through the book of John that is not going to take away from the validity of scripture when you see the handprints of man intermingled with the voice of God you will begin to see that it has more validity and more meaning and it speaks deeper and more profound but yet child could simply understand it. And so John Calvin writes this about why John might write this way. He says, since they all had the same subject to show Christ, the first three exhibit his body, if I may put it that way, but John shows his soul. For this reason, I am accustomed to say that the gospel, this gospel is the key to open the door to understanding the other gospels. This commentator says, as you read and study the fourth gospel, your heart will be captivated by the wonder and majesty of Jesus Christ, who himself is both simple and sublime. See, John writes this way, and what I said last week is oftentimes we think that we speak to the mind, but it's with the heart we tend to make our decisions. And John writes these stories in such a way to reveal, in, in Calvin's word, the soul of Christ, the meaning of Christ, the love of Christ. He begins to give us details, evidence, and facts that add to the burden of proof where we have to wrestle with what actually happened. And yet he writes it in such a way that the stories of Jesus tend to pin places in our hearts that we could not have touched any other way than hearing about the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. It's strange that this book has been reading us more than we've been reading it for thousands of years. And yet John writes in this way, he reflects his raising as a Jew, but he steals a cultural word. He actually uses a word that the Greeks would use. This word in the beginning uh, was the word is actually from the Greek word logos. How many of you heard the Greek word Logos. It means language or, or word. We translate that word. And John actually, because he's not accustomed to the same way, uh, he, he's not fit the mold and his mind is open. And now uh, uh, being a hundred years old, he feels the freedom to take a Greek philosophy and turn it on its Head. See, when he uses, he begins to explain in the beginning God from Genesis, he uses this word logos, which the ancient philosophers, many believe Socrates and Plato would use the word logos because they believe that that is where everything came from, that, that somehow there is a mind, a supreme intelligence. The logos is the highest form of intelligence, language. See, all science would agree that the highest form of intelligence is language. And there's language that oftentimes is words. And then there's body language. There's, there's a plurality of languages. Language is the most diverse thing on the planet. There are more languages than there are people groups. And, and yet uh, God uses this language to spawn the very existence that we see and touch and feel around us. He uses this word. He hijacks it. He says, in the beginning was the logos. 
This mind, this intelligence, this word, this being. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was there in the beginning and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made, made. I was sitting with someone the other day and he, he said to me, you know, Sam, it was the same guy who told me, hey, I'm a fan of Jesus. And he questioned whether I read the Bible literally or not. And, and I said, I, he said, you don't, yeah, but you don't believe and te- teach the Bible literally, right? I'm like, yeah, I literally believe it. But, but not everything in it is meant to be literal. It depends on what you mean by literal. And so when the Bible says uh, he is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, I don't mean that literally, although it is very real. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's real, but not literal. And then, but, but see, the Bible is metaphor and allegory. When the Bible says that, that God is a rock, you don't literally believe that God is a rock, right? You, you, you believe he is like a rock. And so when people say, well, you don't believe it literally, right? Like, so uh, there, there, there are there are things that come from the scripture. When someone asks a certain question, you have to ask the question, what do you mean by that? See, the Bible is very literal when they talk about the person of Jesus and what he did and what he said. But then there's also metaphor and allegory, and there's stories that begin to, to give us different meanings. And to tell you, the Bible is a diverse book. It's not just one book. It's actually 66 books all assembled together, and they have different styles and genres that help us understand the story of God. And he asked me the question. He says, you don't believe that stuff literally. Well, actually, if what you mean is I literally believe that Christ raised from the dead after being murdered in front of thousands of people, I absolutely believe it. And he changed human history. And I actually think there's strong evidence to suggest that there, that is a more logical conclusion than not. And, and we talked about this last week on Easter Sunday. You should go back and listen to this message when we talk about the burden of proof. When we, when we talk about um, history, when we talk about what has happened, we think of it differently than what is observable scientific observation, right? And the scientific method. When we think about what has happened in the past, we need evidence to create a burden of proof that helps us with our belief about the past. Are you with me? So when someone says, do you believe it literally? Well, I literally believe it, and I think it's literal and logical. But here's what he began to say in in this regard. And I go, man, there's things that we believe or discover or stories that we read that oftentimes C.S. Lewis uh, would have a conversation with J.R. Tolkien. And Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, would say to to C.S. Lewis about ancient mythology and the study of stories. He would say something like this. He would say, did you ever consider there might be a true myth that all these stories that seem to be pointing somewhere like is that true somehow a shadow of the real truth I think that's also true oftentimes of movies that we watch science fiction books we read that there's a glimmer or a sliver of the truth and we as believers have to be willing and confident that we can say yes but and so John does exactly that. He says the Logos, yes, but let me tell you about this Logos, this mind. Let me tell you that this Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. The other day, this, this gentleman, a good friend of mine, he said, well, see, I believe we all come from the same soul. And he says, I believe that's why we're all really exactly the same. We're the, we're the same person, basically, in different forms. I believe we came from the same soul. And I said, I believe something similar, but when you say soul, I say source. You see the difference? We came from the same source. So I can then look around, and the similarities I see between you and I, there's evidence to suggest that we indeed come from the same 
place. And I actually think that when we, when we think about this, it's science that helps actually solidify our faith. See, there's a, there's a propagating idea that somehow science, uh, religion, and faith are somehow at odds with scientific fact and reason. But first we have to ask, what do you mean by scientific fact? Next week, we're going to talk in here that when John makes the assertion that nothing was made without him, everything that was made was made. See, you as an individual have to answer questions that help with your overall worldview and how you interact with the world. And ultimately, there are four questions. We've talked about these often. There's a question of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. You have to deal with origin. What do you believe about how we got here? Is it randomness? Is it by chance? Or are you designed from intelligence? Is there an intelligent agent causing life to exist? Is he the indeed author of life? Think about that term, the author of life. And so when when I address these certain things. Next week, we're going to deal a little bit more with the origin of species and Darwinian evolution. And, and what I believe is, is uh, a propagated ideology and almost a religion of, of, of naturalistic, a naturalistic worldview or humanism, where ultimately these two have collided and all that exists is what we can scientifically observe. And I, I, and scientifically prove, but there are things that are absolutely real. Here's what C.S. Lewis would begin to tell us in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia, that actually there are things that we can't call, that science cannot prove that are absolutely very real. I was listening to a debate between mathematician John Lennox and another Oxford professor, and, and he basically, the Oxford professor with debating John Lennox, quickly tried to suggest that anything that was considered belief or faith was fairy tale, and that ultimately all that is is scientifically provable. And, and the brilliance of John Lennox, he asked the man, he says, well, do you believe that your wife is faithful? And how do you prove it? And, and, and quickly he's stoned because there are things in life. How do you prove love? How do you equate value? How do you think about hope? Is it quantifiable? How, what do you think about in Integrity and, and what do you what do you think? Is it real? And what's the real space between us? The connection that my friend, who's who's who, who's more science uh, science fiction than religion or science, says we all come from the same soul. And what he perceives is is that there's some kind of connection that I can't quantify between you and I, but it is very real. See what is propagated is the idea that if you cannot equate it and observe it and, and, and begin to understand it. And here's where science begins to uh, use faith. Anything that they cannot answer, they will quickly say, well, we need more time. We will, though, in a positive way. John Lennox criticizes and says, well, isn't that a faith? Isn't that a belief that you will somehow discover the things that you don't have explanations for, which they quickly admit that they cannot explain the start of everything? How did everything come from no thing? Right? Because, because here's the reality. Logic and life would tell us that there has never been something that has ever come from no thing. You're welcome, right? If there's a building, there's a builder. If there's a painting, there's an artist. If, if, if there's a sonnet, then there's a worship band at Crossroads Church, man. Right? Like, uh, there science cannot prove what is before. And they'll say, we just don't have enough time or we're not interested in those answering those types of questions because those types of questions also spawn why were we created? What are we for? See, each, lo each uh, part of a worldview has to be logically consistent. 
It has to, if I came from here, it determines my purpose and meaning. Where I come from determines why I'm here. And why is it that all human beings are asking the question of why? Everyone's asking about meaning and purpose. You don't believe me? Just look on social media. Somebody's trying to tell you and get you to buy something so you can know it, right? Right? Everyone is propagating meaning. And yet, that's different than every other created being, created species. We're different than, than every other part of creation. Because here's the reality. You are pondering where you came from. You have a triune relationship with your past, your present, and your future. At all times, all at once, you are the product of who you were. You are experiencing the now, and you are looking forward to the then of who you might become. You are always dealing with the past, the present, and the future, the triune nature of God imprinted on who you are. He made us in his image. Now we are aware. The philosopher would say, I think, therefore I am. You are self-aware. You are aware of time and space and meaning. And so it has to come from somewhere. Do you know who's not asking the questions of meaning or have any concept of time? Zebras, right? <laughs> You notice this? Uh, zebras are not aware of who they are or apparently who lions are, right? You ever seen these videos where, where zebras will graze right next to a, a sleeping lion? You know what? They're not perceiving the future. It's, a, it's of no thought to them. They're like, you know what? Sleeping lions are amazing, Right? awesome. If, if they were aware of the future, they would huddle up in the woods and they would say, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to catch them, nap them, napping, and then we're going to stomp them to death, right? Like that's what we're going to do. But you know what they're doing? They have no awareness of the past of how their cousin got ate last week, right? And no perception of the future. They just are in the moment we are aware and God is the author of this life because in the beginning was the logos, the word intelligence, the highest form of intelligence. And then he's written it in your life. And see, here's the problem with the idea that, that science and faith are somehow at odds with one another because in actuality, it is religion and belief that actually drove the expansion of scientific thought. Newton would discover the laws of motion because he believed that there was actually a legislator. He believed that, that there was actually something written. Mathematics would point to somehow there is order inside of the universe. And then as we begin to study the very human cell, we look into the very, we call it an atom for whatever reason. wonder where they got that idea. Even inside of the human cell, there's this thing called DNA. You ever heard of it? Anybody ever heard of this? DNA. Three of you. That's awesome. Uh, it's pretty important for your life. Uh, it actually uh, has determined who you are today, and it's actually a language written in your very being. To the subatomic particles inside have some type of relationship, and scientists begin to sound like Hebrew poets. And yet inside of your genetics is a code, billions, uh, billions of letters in a correct order, all determining whether you have great hair or no hair, or whether you have blue eyes or you're tall, yeah, right? <laughs> right? Like all of this is that, that God is the author of life. See, language is the only thing that when you see it, you infer up rather than down. See, science is propagating an idea that every complicated thing came from something simplistic. 
See, science has suggested that you can, can deduce the world from the simplest form of it and that then as the simplicity grows and then it becomes more complex and now billions of years later, here you are. Yet language is the only thing that's quite different. If you were to see your name written in Solvang on a sign, you could start the first part of your name in just a few letters, five letters. Your brain would quickly uh, uh, infer that actual intelligence put that there. It took simple letters and put them together. And now somehow between time and space, they in the path, in the past, putting on a sign, letters in a specific order. And now you in the present are able to read that and infer from that. And then all of a sudden you do not deduce that something simple wrote it. You, you actually infer that something far more complex actually put it there. See, language is quite different. If I was to hand you this book, this simple commentary on the Gospel of John, you would quickly infer that someone wrote this book, that it wasn't by happenstance. It didn't just arrive. And you will infer that the person who wrote it is far more complex than the book that is actually written. So any book that you have, the most complex and most uh, uh, heady book that you've ever read, I can tell you that the person who wrote it is far more complex than the actual book itself. See, language infers, and yet science says we don't understand it. It may appear as though it is a language. They would, they would, they would agree that it is a language, but they would say it appears that someone wrote it, but we just haven't figured out yet why it is there. And when someone says God is the author of life, and just like you see a sign and infer an intelligent agent, just like you pick up a book and infer that someone who is far more complex than the letters arranged in a certain order is far more complex than what you are reading, then if in the very cell of your body communicating to the rest of your body who you will be in this moment and the next, and it is four meters long of billions of letters in the perfect order how could we not infer that there is something far more complex creating it in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with God and the logos was God and nothing was made that was made was made without him somebody say amen, amen. to that so how could we come to any other conclusion? See, it's far more logical and scientific to conclude that something had to write the language that is inside of us. And see, your entire body is language. It's communication. What's actually happening right now is your brain is communicating with your organs. It's telling your heart to pump. It's telling your lungs to breathe. It's doing things and saying things that you're not even aware of. But the very idea of life is language. And how would a Hebrew poet at 17 years old, now 100, without a formal education, a boneheaded brother just fishing with his brother, would write, in the beginning was the Logos. How does he know? How does he know it unless he had some help? Right? See, language is what makes you happen. I know you thought that was the nod, but that wasn't the nod, Joe. Uh, you're going to get it in, a, in like a minute. So we're going to make shirts that say, this is the nod. Uh, if you know, you know. And uh, all the new worship leaders are like, nope, nope. Uh, right? <laughs> what is it? So here, here's the thing about language and even about the body. What is the body saying? I was talking to a nurse this week, and there's actually on stage an oncology nurse. I could see her vibing when I said this in the first service. The idea even of sickness and even how we treat sickness is all about communication in the body. See, cancer is actually a miscommunication of the body. 
Think about that. A language, a miscommunication. Your body is saying something and going a different direction than what it should be saying to your body. And cancer arrives. What is the idea of sin? My sheep know my voice and a stranger they will not follow. What is it about the cancer of the soul which is not listening to the one who is communicating with us. When there is a miscommunication and a breakdown, our bodies are screaming evidence towards God. And this book gives us belief that we can hold fast to. And he says, I write these that you may believe. And as I tell you this, this is just heady information. This speaks to the soul of who Jesus is. And it touches in places that you can't quite articulate, but it forms forms belief and belief drives behavior. See, words are powerful. We can use words in different ways. We can use words to, to build up and, and we can use words to tear down. Think about that, even that idea. When someone, when someone uses words in ways that, that, that aren't constructive towards you and even the idea of saying constructive, somehow we're building something with our words. You're made in the image of God, and God barred the universe. He spoke the word in existence. What are you building in the lives of other people? I mean, when someone's negative, you say, they just keep tearing me down. We just keep, man, this person, I just love being around them. It just builds me up. Very real creation through language. Your very existence is language, and the space between you and others is language, and you can build up or tear down. I, I tell this story from time to time. I'm telling it a, a little different way today, and it, uh, if you're new, then just enjoy. If, if, you're, uh, if you've been here a while, don't give it away. And uh, so... Uh, a few, many of you know, uh, just from my accent, I, I'm not from around here. All right, all right, all right, right? I was raised in Kentucky, and I was a youth pastor in Kentucky, and, and uh, listen, youth pastors are broke, so tip your youth pastor, okay? Uh, that's just true, amen? <laughs> right? Just bring them lasagnas, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> show up on their door, they'll be thankful. Uh, and, and so, um, I was, I was bivocational as a youth pastor who was broke and we're newly married and, and I got a young, beautiful wife and I'm just trying to provide and do what I'm supposed to do. But, but the reality is I only have one skill and you're experiencing it right now. Uh, so if my mouth breaks, we're, I'm in trouble, right? Uh, so I was like, all right. Uh, anyways, that's all I had to do. And, uh, so, um, I got this job in this construction company, this guy in the church, and, and, and they had this contract to uh, do concrete sidewalks in Radcliffe, Kentucky. And it's outside of Fort Knox. And, and so I have a, a name for, um, you know, guys like me have a name uh, on construction companies, and, and they're called gophers, okay? Go for this, go for that. Hey, we know you don't really good for anything, but could you go get this? for us. And, and, and that's who I was on this construction company. And on this particular day, they were laying this sidewalk. We had to get there early. We had a long stretch to lay. And, and, and it's hot. And in Kentucky, it's not just the heat, it's the humidity, man. You walk outside, you want to take a shower again. It's just disgusting. So be thankful you live in California. I want to hear anything ever again, all right? Like, uh, it's amazing, all right? You have to shower four times a day, all right? And, uh, and, and so it, it's hot. It's like 115 degrees with the heat index. It's the middle of July. It is so hot. We've been out in this. I've been playing in traffic, dodging traffic. I'm the guy with the sign like, hey, go around, you know, and they're, they're working on this sidewalk. And I don't understand concrete at all. And I, I mean, I'm fascinated. I'm going to take this liquid stuff and it's going to solidify. I'm going to be able to walk on. It's going to be amazing, right? I have no idea how it works. I'm like, that's cool. Uh, something from something. And, uh, and so on this particular day, um, and here's what we say in Kentucky. You don't like the weather in Kentucky. Wait five minutes. It's going to change. All right. So it's been hot and sunny. And now there's storm clouds coming over the ridge. And it's just going to pour the rain. I mean, it's literally going to rain cats and dogs. You'll get the literal joke later. And, uh, and so, 
So it is pouring the rain, and here we go. We gotta, uh, we, uh, we gotta go get something. I'm the gopher, so the boss, Doug, looks at me, and Doug says, hey, Sam, we gotta go to the lumber yard to block down. We gotta get the tarp quickly, and we gotta bring it back and cover the sidewalk. And I'm like, yes, man. I've been sitting on the bench all day. Coach is calling me up, man. Man, all day I've been like, man, I'm doing nothing. I'm gonna go home and tell my wife I'm a hero. You know what I mean? They're like, I saved the day. You're like, what did you do all day? Nothing, right? No, no, I saved the day, right? They needed a gopher, and I went and got, you know what I mean? And, and so I, I'm, in the, I'm in the game now. Coaches called me up, and, I'm, and we get to the lumber yard. We get the tarp. We put it in the back of the little truck, and then we get, I get back in the cab, and we're driving a block down to the sidewalk. And the whole time, I'm, re- I'm rehearsing the game plan. I've been sitting on the bench. Now I'm in the game, and I'm like, okay, listen, all right, get out of the truck, get the tarp, put it on the sidewalk, get out of the truck, Get the tarp, put it on the sidewalk, get out of the, okay, all right, here we go, game time, right? I get out of the cab of the truck, and I step into about a foot of water up to my shins, and I'd step out of the water and onto the sidewalk. <laughs> Can I just tell you that James, the half-brother of Jesus, says life is like a mist. It's here and it's gone. But I hate to disagree with the half-brother of Jesus. But when life turns from good to bad and you have days like that, life feels less like a mist and more like a fog. To be honest, there are days like that. This is terrible. Guys are looking at me. There's a couple guys there. And they're looking at me. And some people call them ruffians. I just call them rednecks. Let's just get that out of the way. So there's some, I'm from there. I can say it, right? And so uh, these rednecks look at me like, man, what are you doing? doing? You're an idiot. What, I mean, what were you, what were you thinking? I was like, it was my natural reaction. Like your natural reaction was to jump in wet concrete. Like, really? I don't know. It looked like a sidewalk. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know how this works, right? I'm going to go home and I'm going to have to tell my, my wife, my newlywed, beautiful wife and be like, listen, baby, I lost my job today. She's like, why'd you lose your job? I'm like, because you married an idiot, right? <laughs> like, I went for being hero, coming in like, feed me, right? Let's be, like, I'm amazing. I'm a man. I build stuff. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows that's not true. And uh, <clears throat> so, uh, so, man, I'm going I'm to show her. I'm going to tell her. Now I'm going to have to tell her I've lost my job. And these guys are just looking at me going, man, who are you? That's the nod. He, he, here's the reality. These guys are going, man, you're, what a fool. Man, what, what, what are you doing? I'm looking at myself and going, man, and now the irony is it stopped raining. I'm trying to save the sidewalk from the rain, and I can't save it from my boot that's now galloped through it and now permanently screaming for the world. This guy is an idiot, Right? <laughs> it took me forever to tell this story in public, man. It's a story of no go. Yeah, it was a bad day, huh? Man, can't believe you did that all the time. <laughs> yeah, whatever, you know? These guys are looking at me. Man, how could, you, how could you do something like that? And then, but then there's this guy right behind him. His name was Heido. And Heido looked at me through the noise. And he looked at me and he said, I got it. But then I have a choice. Who do I believe? Do I know? I don't know. I mean, by definition, it's concrete. It's permanent. I can't fix it. I don't know how to fix it. I don't have the skills to fix it. Man, if I got in that and try to, try, I, don't even, I don't even know. And then Heidel's looking at me like, I got it. And I have a choice. See, the world is screaming at you. See, the enemy wants to tell you your mistakes, your past are permanent. The world is broken and it cannot be fixed. It's permanent. And yet the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible is mankind has messed up and though we thought it was permanent, the story of John, he begins to write and he says, Jesus came on the scene and he knew you couldn't fix it. And he knew through the noise you would have to believe that he is able when he says, I got it. Don't worry about it. See, the whole gospel is about redemption, putting things back to original design. How are you made? And yet he uses words 
to communicate to us. Why? Because it's in your very essence, a language that's screaming out the glory and design of God. And he longs to communicate with you. And he's asking you to simply believe. John writes these words. He says, I write them so that you may believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. And he's got it. The whole story of the Bible is man can't fix it. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is a gift from God. Heido gave me a gift that day. Saved my job. Fixed the concrete. He did this thing he went over. He started doing this thing called floating concrete, which is, I think, a bad choice of words, right? Floating concrete, yeah, whatever, right? Like, I may not know much, but that concrete did not float. All right, so. But what he did was he took the mess and he kind of moved some things around. He began to put things different places. He began to swirl it around. What I thought couldn't be fixed. See, maybe you thought that couldn't be fixed. And then he started moving you around started rearranging you. Maybe you thought, man, why did this happen to us? Why do we have to move? Why this job? Why is this going on? And maybe you could see that in the mess, you'll see his message to you. That he can make beautiful things out of the mess. That he's written the word on your heart, you know that he can fix it. He can do exceedingly abundantly far more than you could ever ask or think. He's just that good and he's got it. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and you were made by him and through him and for him and he's speaking. Will you listen? to the language of God, the word of God, that is the power of God unto salvation. Will you pray with me? <laughs> Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person who maybe needs to hear that the mess is not permanent. I thank you for every person who's in the, the mess of life and some things have been moved around. I pray that they would hear the word of God that says, I got this, I am able. Trust me, believe me that you may have life. He is the author of life and the story God is writing is bigger than the page you're living on, friend. I'm praying for endurance. Jesus, give endurance to get past this page. Help them to hear your voice. You've written it on the very essence of who they are. There is a language inside of us. Then let us hear from the author of life who's designed life to work the way he has. Let us hear his voice, heed his voice, and respond to his voice and believe so it drives our behavior. Let us be Jesus people who build people up. Let us build cathedrals in the lives of others as we begin to speak life into them. Let us repent and change our mind of how we've used words to tear down. Because you are the author of life and let us follow suit and speak life into others. I thank you. And let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?